Thank you. It's so good to be led in uh, singing, singing to our Lord. Um, our series, we're going to continue in the series of being human in a God-shaped world and what that looks like, what we can learn from the various uh, accounts and stories within the Bible. And you'll know that we have been for a while camped out in the book of Genesis. But during these, uh, this summertime, uh, Doug has invited the preachers to have preacher's choice and uh, to choose a passage or a, a character to follow. And Mel is going to be bringing us in a moment a reading from the book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible. So a few books on um, where we discover the account of 12 spies. Um, and I was interested this morning in our communion service, Richard uh, chose the passage on Daniel and the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, was given a vision of what the future would be. And it was through God's inspiration that Daniel was able to interpret the vision and share it. And it seems to me that again and again and again, and I know in advance what next week's reading is, that our God, our speaking God, the one who wants to speak to you and to me, speaks in advance to encourage us, to let us know what is ahead. I think the challenge is going to be, are we listening? So Mel will bring us the reading from Numbers 13. I encourage you, if you brought your Bibles on your phone or paper version, to, to get them out to, to follow the text. Uh, in a way, you'll be glad to know she's not reading the whole story, but you will get a part of it, a flavour of the story. Thank you, Mel. Our reading this morning is from Numbers chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, 
he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Thank you, Mel. Half a story you got there. So, 12 spies. This could be something from a Jeffrey Archer novel, I guess, or a World War II plot. Well, just want to um, think for a moment. World War II, during World War II, her code name was Jermaine, and the, the Gestapo described her as the most dangerous of all Allied spies. But this spy, AKA Virginia Hall, had been repeatedly rejected by the diplomatic service prior to 1939 on account of her being both female and also disabled. She had lost one of her limbs in um, a shooting accident in the early 30s. Well, in 1940, she resigned from her desk job and she volunteered in France to be an ambulance driver. Then an encounter with an undercover agent led to her connection with a newly formed British intelligence agency. And in August 1941, after training in Britain, Virginia Hall went to France under the guise of being a reporter with the New York Post. She was originally American, but named Brigitte Lecomte. She quickly established a network of contacts, recruited more people for the, the resistance, planned jailbreaks for other agents and those who were captured. And in all, she survived for over 12 months in the field alone until other women spies were deployed to France. But when the Germans were set to uh, overrun and fully occupy France in 1942, Hall sensed danger and then went on a 7,500 foot uh, mountain pass through the Pyrenees to Spain trekking alone despite the incredible discomfort due to her prosthetic leg, kindly known as Cuthbert. Well, in 1944, she took on the leadership of the resistance units and her work directly led to the liberation of large parts of France. She ended up being the only civilian woman in the war to receive the Distinguished Service Cross for extraordinary heroism. Virginia Hall's courageous attitude was the difference between success and failure. Attitude made all the difference between the 12 spies that Moses, under instruction from God, sent into the land promised to them, that we heard Mel read. So as I said, we're continuing our series, and I want to just look briefly again at that passage. And if you've got it, then please do keep it open or listen uh, attentively if you haven't, and I encourage you to read it again later. Let's see what God is doing, what the humans are doing, and what we might learn about living right in a God-shaped world. 
You see, you'll know and you'll remember from what we've been doing in Genesis that through Abraham, God has raised up a nation or will be raising up a nation if we go back into where we are in the series. They have gone through exile. They're in slavery in Egypt and enslaved for over 400 years there. But through the book of Exodus, we see that God miraculously rescues them, bringing them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And after two years of caring and instructing them, parts of the book of Leviticus are about teaching them to be holy as God is holy, to be set apart. We come to the place that we are now, the book of Numbers, where God commissions his people. I think this book really should have ended around chapter 14, because God gives the commission. He sends out his spies to scout the land and the scouts to, to go ahead and look to see what God is giving them. He wants them to see and to come back and report to encourage the whole people. But of course we heard as Mel read, they ended up frightened and terrified by the misreporting. Sound familiar? Of these people. They ended up spending a further 38 years wandering around in the wilderness. Their Disobedience, their unbelief, meant a delay in the blessing that God was wanting to offer them. But as we pick it up in the account, chapter 13, verse 1, our God is the one who speaks. He loves to speak to us. He speaks to you and me today. I wonder if we're listening. Moses was listening. And his commission to Moses was send out leaders from each tribe to scout out the land. And he backs it up with his promise, reminding them, the land that I have, I'm giving you, the land that I swore to Abraham and the ancestors, the land that was promised to the Israelites. Basically, it's an advanced preview given to all the leaders. And so Moses organizes them to go out to scout the land, telling them to be courageous, and if they can, to bring back the fruit of the land, some of the fruit. Well, fast forward to verse 21, which we didn't hear. During their mission, they noticed some fairly hefty built inhabitants. They noticed them. And we've seen subsequently in scripture that that group of that people group were particularly tall people. But they also reached the Eshkol Valley where they gather grapes, pomegranates, and figs. Now the text, in a very matter-of-fact way, describes the one cluster of grapes that is brought back. I don't know if you've seen a cluster of grapes like this, but basically, two blokes, one pole, it took to lift this one bunch of grapes back. That, to me, speaks of fruitfulness, of abundance. Well, after 40 days spying out the land, they return to Mission HQ, and the account that they give starts well. They're armed, of course, with this enormous uh, cluster of grapes, the pomegranates and the figs, and they say, we came to the land you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here is the fruit. However, they have a but. My dad said to me, never start a sentence with a but. I don't think we should start or continue with that. Because from here, they start to talk up about the strong men they've come across. 
but Caleb. Now, Caleb's name means whole, it's a compound name, whole, wholeness, and heart. Caleb was wholeheartedly a man of God. He followed God wholeheartedly. And he counters what 10 of the spies say, saying that we are more than able to take the land. But the 10 remained doubtful. And in verse 31, they resort to exaggeration. Well, if they're not going to get their way by just describing these tall guys that they'd seen, they need to say something else. So they start to say the land, the land there devours the people. Really? The people are giants, they say. And we, what are we? We're grasshoppers. They describe themselves as grasshoppers. They have lost their perspective. I mean, I was thinking about it. You know, I've not long been in Purley, but imagine if I walked down the high street and I just saw, a, you know, a couple of tall guys there, but I came back to my family and said, everyone's big in Purley and they're all wearing their hoodies are up and they're this and that. You know, I would be exaggerating. I would not be painting an accurate picture of what I was seeing. And I don't think the 10 spies were doing so either. And then we pick up the reading that Mel continued on with in chapter 14. You see, the people, on account of the 10 speaking in this way of exaggeration, well, they're full of fear and they're quite alarmed. It says in the text, they weep, then they grumble. They grumble about their, lead their leaders, Moses and Aaron, and they even wish that they could return to the life of slavery in Egypt. Now, these people had been fed by the 10 spies, but they've also been fed by the Lord. And yet they were wanting to return to slavery. It's as though that spirit of slavery was still within them. They hadn't handed it over to God and said, this is no longer who we are. We are your people and you have promised good things to us. Well, their distraught leaders were fully aware, just as the people were, of the context. And we had the context. God had commissioned them for this reconnaissance mission, this scouting trip. But he'd also spelt out the promise, the promise of giving the land. So at this point, one other spy, Joshua, speaks up. He describes the land as exceedingly good. He uses the same two words that God had spoken in the beginning when he'd created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. And he put man and woman there. He said it was exceedingly good. Joshua described the land that the Lord was promising his people as exceedingly good. And he goes on to warn the people to not rebel against this God, our God. He reminds them that in rejecting the land, you are rejecting God. But he encourages them. He doesn't quite say this in the text. Uh, find it for yourself. But he says, do not fear the people. You can have them for breakfast. So what do the people do? They have God's promise of the land. They have the evidence that the land is exceedingly fruitful and abundant. They have Caleb and Joshua's encouragement. But they also have the negative 
attitude of the other 10 spies. What do they do? What did we hear? They hatch a plan to stone their leaders. But our reading ends with the bright glory of God, the Lord appearing at the tent of meeting. Enough is enough. We've got God's certain promise at the beginning and God's bright glory at the end. But in between the action of 12 leaders selected and sent for this advanced viewing, what can we learn? What can we learn for us today? You see, all 12 had the same external experience, but their internal conclusions were very different. All 12 were leaders, all 12 received the same promise, and all 12 had the same opportunities. But 10 effectively said no to God's promise. They misunderstood their mission. You see, they saw God in light of their circumstances. And after they return, they have this cowardly attitude to God's plan. I think it's not hard to see why. Because actually, those 10 spies do not make mention of God at all. His name isn't mentioned once. They see others as giants and they see themselves as grasshoppers and they make that point thoroughly. I wonder if we big up our problems and dumb down our very big God. Their negative report, their pessimistic attitude spread like a virus through the people. And ultimately, the Israelites were driven back into the wilderness to die. That generation did not make it into the promised land, with the exception of two, Caleb and Joshua. The people were denied and they wandered for a further 38 years. Joshua and Caleb, with their positive report, had encouraged the Israelites to take the land because they base their report, their glowing report, on God's track record. He'd taken his people out of slavery through the desert. They'd seen the miracles, they'd remembered them, they'd brought them back to mind. They freely admitted that there were obstacles, but they knew that nothing could stand in the way of their God and their God who had promised them this land. They displayed courage, which was rooted in faith. So for us, it's attitude that will make all the difference because in this passage, the people had a choice and we have choices every single day and every single week. In the light of Jesus, our resurrected Lord, we have a King and a Saviour who has told us that in this world we will have trouble. But even in the midst of it, we may have peace in him. And we are to take heart because he has overcome the world. And as we say yes to him, to welcome him in welcoming him into our life, he is able to do immeasurably more immeasurably more than all we could ask 
or imagine. He grow in us the fruits of the Spirit to abundance, that we may have peace and joy, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this is the choice. Who will we listen to? I know that this week I've had quite a few things going on in my mind. And it's been incredibly helpful to get back and anchored back into a passage like this. And remember that I can listen above all, at whatever, especially in the early hours of the morning. I need to stop listening to myself or any other voices and listen to the voice of my Lord, the one who has said, yes, I have promised you a land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now we have the Old Testament here. It is a physical land that is promised to the people. But in the New Testament, we have as well the fact of abundant life that God wants to give us now in this life, abundance, life in all its fullness, and a future with him that is exceedingly good. That is the invitation of our God. Our attitude is often the only difference between overcoming and shrinking back. And that is based on our faith and our rem remembrance of what God, our speaking God, our God who promises and is faithful, has said. You may have heard it said, don't tell God how big your problem or your worry or your fear is. Tell the problem how big our God is. Tell the problem how big our God is. <clears throat> Earlier this week, a few of us were reading Psalm 48 in morning prayer. And the final line puts it this way. For this God is our God, and he will be our guide even to the end. This God, who is our great king, who has shown himself to be our fortress. This is our God. Imagine with me what our day, what our week, or what our every sleepless night might look like if for every fear, every worry, every difficult relationship that we're struggling with or situation, we were to tell it how big our God is. And that he is faithful. He has promised us a life of abundance. And it is he who reigns. Amen. Let's just take a moment as we digest some of that. I wonder if today there are some of us, and especially because we have been in that time of wilderness, as we come out, just as the people of God were coming out and being recommissioned by the Lord. Maybe we still have a spirit of slavery, of wanting to go back, of shrinking back. 
or indeed a spirit of fear. And as we take a thought, we don't take it captive, but we allow it to expand. I wonder if God is wanting to say to you today, give that over to me, hand it over. You are no longer a slave. You have been bought at a price. You are mine. I paid that price. I paid the full penalty on the cross. The battle is won. You need not fear. Unlike the people then who knew that there were obstacles, there was a battle. Jesus has overcome. He has won the battle against sin and death on the cross, and he is victorious. He came down from that cross. He walked out of his grave. He is alive and reigns. Do not be afraid. Do not fear, says the Lord. For I am with you. It may be today as well that this wilderness time has led you to a spirit of unbelief in this God. Is he asking you to hand over that unbelief and say, Lord, here is my unbelief. Help me believe. The writer to the Hebrews said that the people were not able to enter the land because of unbelief. This was an internal enemy for them. It's an internal enemy for us, and it holds us back from blessing. Does the Lord want to do a beautiful exchange as you hand over your unbelief and say, Lord, I believe? think the Lord wants to say to each of us this morning, rekindle in your life a spirit of faith. Faith in this God. I am the one who liberates, who sets you free from every situation, everything that troubles your mind. Let us take on a wholehearted attitude. That name that Caleb means, wholeheartedness. A wholeheartedness for the Lord. Faith and wholeheartedness motivates where fear has paralyzed.
come Holy Spirit. Fill your sons and daughters with your presence, with your perspective that they might not see giants in the land. That they might see themselves as you see them. Holy, beautiful, perfectly made, made in God's image. Lord, give us a spirit like Joshua and Caleb, who were patient for 38 years and were able to then go into the land and conquer it, to receive what God had promised. Give us that patience that holy patience, holy patience to wait in your presence. To be like Moses and hear you speaking to us. Not just us collectively now, but in the quiet still of the morning, of the evening or of the midday. Holy Spirit, fill us. Amen.